It's time for JT the Brick. The years are ticking off, JT. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you're playing. You know, you got to show up. you got to play at the highest level. You're not going to win in this league. JT the Brick. Hey, Raider Nation, let that sink in. Since 2018, he has 25 interceptions. Raider fans go crazy around here when a guy gets two for the entire season. Anytime, JT. And uh, hi to all my uh, Raider fans out there. And go Raiders. And now... Here's JT the Brick. We call that the Tom Flores Open. As Tom Flores, we always wish Coach well as he wraps up that intro as we begin hour number two of the show. A busy hour coming up here. Vinny Bonsignor will join us in about five minutes. We'll talk to him about all the Raider roster battles that are coming up here. Cadre Ishmael won a Super Bowl. Great wide receiver, analyst for the Baltimore Ravens. Tomorrow, Orlando Azulgari is known as the Big O. Got one of the biggest shows in Miami on the Dolphins. And then we're going to pick uh, probably we're going to focus on Denver and the Chargers and Kansas City with their insiders before the start of the season. I got Arizona's insiders all logged in, ready to go the week of the Arizona game. And we're just going away and we're trying to look ahead on the schedule. Quick reminder, we're going to Nashville, taking the show on the road to Nashville this year. So hopefully if you're a Raider fan and you're going to Broadway in Nashville, reach out to me. Let me know at JT the Brick where you're going to be. We'll have a party location. We'll have something set up. We're working on a broadcast as that is coming here. Week three, pretty tough game there. I want to see Ryan Tannehill. I want to see what they're going to do, but that's going to be the toughest, most physical running game they have all year long with Derrick Henry. All year long coming up there. Uh, The good news for the Jets, Zach Wilson's knee is okay. He had surgery today. He could be back for the opener. So Jet fans hope springs eternal as the Jet fans believe that they'll have a chance now. And that's good for the Jets. It's good for the league. It's great for the league when a franchise quarterback who was taken number two overall isn't gone for the year. They need that kid to be able to play. So his knee surgery was a tremendous success. Tyrod Taylor is getting some first-team reps because in New York, the Giants are struggling with Daniel Jones. That's a story that's all over the New York media today. And there's a real competition in Pittsburgh with Kenny Pickett and what he can do against Mitchell Trubisky. The Seahawks don't seem to have a battle there with Drew Locke. It looks like at this point in time, Geno Smith is leading that battle there. We'll keep an eye on that. And then we have some news coming up here on what could happen with a couple other teams and quarterbacks, especially playing or not. Will we see Tua this weekend going up against the Raiders? I hope we do. Reggie in North Las Vegas, man. Good to see you a bunch recently. Reggie, how are you? Hey, man, that's what it is. I'm going to start seeing you so many times you're going to hire me, man. <laughs> JT, bro, two things. I really love seeing you out at Canton, man. That, the last time I saw you last year, I just didn't feel like bothering you. And I know. Oh, come on, you, man. You, you told me that. You told me that last year that you, I wouldn't have been bothering you. But it was just you were with your family, and I didn't want to press on you. But. This time I got to speak with you, and I really appreciated seeing you out there. Um, out here at the home opener for preseason, man, was that not a great crowd for that preseason game or what? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I didn't really get a chance to dive into the crowd. I went to my seats to see a couple of friends down in the Twitch Lounge, and I was rolling around there. You had the Raiderettes. What was that, 500 Raiderettes in the Winfield <laughs> Club? Awesome and too. saw you out there, and it's nice. You know, and I, I hope the next tailgate 
is really going to be the dress oh, rehearsal yeah. for all of us, is that's the Patriot weekend. Everyone's yeah. got to get their parking down, their mindset, their traffic patterns down. So I'm looking yeah. forward to that New England tailgate over there in the J-Lot. I'll be out there, man, for certain. And then, you know what's the trip of what you, your last guest talking about the Raiders moving from 80 to 1 down to 20 to 1. I'm mm. so pissed off that I missed that. But I'm still going to play some money on my boys this year. This will be my first year going all out since they've been in Vegas. And I'm definitely looking at the team beating that uh, eight and a half. Mm. I really think they're going to beat that. But then Derek Carr is like the 13th quarterback on the list to get MVP. Yeah. And then you got um, Devontae is like 27th, I believe, behind Cooper Cup and Devo Samuels. I'm like, okay, I'll put my money on that because I, I think they're much better. So I'm going to just play around. I ain't putting no serious money on it, but shoot, at 20 to 1, I, I'm, I'm with that with the Raiders. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, man, what do you think about this? I know nobody's really talking about it, but it's kind of under the radar right now. Roquan Smith trying mm. to get out of Chicago. Yeah, I, I'm going to talk about that with Vinny coming up here. Good to talk to you, Reggie. I think that would be really expensive for the Raiders to do, not only price tag-wise, but they'd have to give up a lot of picks. Or maybe not a lot of picks. Maybe one pick, but considering what they had to give up for Devontae, that could be expensive right now. I think this, this team is building differently as I bring in Vinny Bonsignor, our teammate here on Raider Nation Radio. Vinny, you heard the wrap-up of that call, Roquan Smith, some of the other names that we were waiting on potentially if the Raiders were going to make a move. Tell us where they are with the money they have left. I've been telling you, whenever I bump into you, I think some of that money is going to be reserved to go get an offensive lineman if they need to. Yeah, uh, and thanks for having me, JT. Um, I, I'm with you. I think offensive line, if there's an area that uh, that they would look to bolster um, – you know, immediately or, or, you know, somewhere down the road before the season starts, I think it would be offensive line. I think what they're trying to decide is, um, is the right tackle currently on the roster? Do they mm-hmm. feel like Alex Leatherwood or Jermaine Illuminor or, or Thayer Munford uh, can lock down right tackle? Uh, and if so, then, you know, they're set, obviously, at that position. And the other question is, uh, who's going to play uh, swing tackle? And while it's a position that may never get tapped into uh, this year, you can't go into a season assuming that you know your right tackle is going to stay healthy and, and primarily your left tackle is going to stay healthy. And so, you know, with with uh, Colton Miller not playing in the preseason, it's basically been an audition for Jermaine Illuminar, uh, Brandon Parker, uh, Jackson Barton to show what they can do on that left side to create a comfort level. That should something happen to Colton Miller, knock on wood, uh, that they would be uh, uh, viable in terms of a replacement for him, whether it's on the short term or the long term. I'm not sure they've come to that conclusion yet, uh, at least as as it relates to the swing tackle. And so I would, if I was a Raider fan, definitely keep an eye on uh, what happens on the waiver wire starting today. Mm -hmm. Um, Later on, you know, when when teams get down to their 53-man roster, there's a lot of players that are going to hit the waiver wire, um, and a lot of them are going to be offensive linemen. Some of them are going to be young offensive linemen uh, that maybe in a numbers game, maybe there was a scheme change going to a new coach and a new system, and maybe they just don't fit. Uh, That's kind of where I think the Raiders might go uh, to find that swing tackle if they feel like they need to go do that. Vinny Bonsignor joins us. So when you saw Thayer Mumford out there starting at right tackle, Leatherwood starting the second half, cause for concern for you? Or you know, you've been around this team more than anybody that they're just swinging and putting a lot of guys out there at a lot of different times. What was your big takeaway from that move? 
I think they're being true to their word. Uh, they've stressed um, that there's going to be an open competition uh, across the board, but you know, there's some specific positions that are truly up for grabs, one of them being right tackle. And I think that they're going to do all of their diligence, uh, all their due diligence in trying to decide who the best candidate uh, is going to be for that position. And they're giving everybody an ample opportunity to prove that they're the guy. Um, and it also, I think that this is super important, and I think that Josh McDaniels touched on it, uh, a lot of this is going to be predicated on what you do on a daily basis, whether it's the classroom, uh, whether it's the practice field, how you approach your work day, um, what, how you're performing, at what level you're performing every day that you show up to work. And that's going to determine who's getting the snaps, who's starting that particular week. I wouldn't read too much into it. Um, there's plenty of time, uh, a couple of weeks, three weeks, before they have to make an ultimate decision on who's going to be the starter. And it still might uh, you know, go, you know, be a trade-off situation up until that point, whether it's the games uh, or whether it's who's getting the first-team reps in practice. But they are putting uh, a heavy emphasis on your daily routine every single day, every single rep to decide who gets the majority of snaps come game day in the preseason and then ultimately make that final decision. But I, I think it's, as Josh McDaniel said, the healthiest way to do this, the best way to do this, uh, and be true to your word. If you're going to make it an open competition, everybody deserves that opportunity to compete for that job. Well, it isn't an open competition for Darren Waller's job, but for the amount of practice that he's missed actually on the field with the first team, whatever's going on, on behind the scene, uh, scene with the trainers, working through this tremendous film study, the chemistry he has, when do you start looking at this saying, okay, this is important, he needs to be at practice this week with the first team to build chemistry? Well, um, when he's healthy, you know, um, and there, there's no reason to push it. Number one, um, and I don't know this to be the case whatsoever, but even if week one uh, becomes a little bit tricky, there's also 16 other games to think about uh, after that. So to me, you don't push it uh, until he's ready to go and truly ready to go because the last thing that you want um, for you know, a Darren Waller is for this to get any worse or to suffer a setback. And let's say, just for argument's sake, you know what, uh, it's probably more likely that uh, it's going to be week two that he gets out there. Uh, and if you rush it and all of a sudden you push him out there just for the sake of it to go play game one, and all of a sudden what could have been something where he returns game two turns out to be game four, now you're really putting yourself behind the eight ball. So for me, if I'm the coaching staff, if I'm Darren Waller, uh, when he's ready to go is when he should be out there, not a mo- uh, one second before that. I look at defensive tackle with Bilal Nichols and Hankins as they hopefully come off the pup list or whatever update we're going to have there. Concerned about the starting depth behind them, depending on what you've seen. We saw all of these substitution patterns on the offensive line. What have you noticed from the press box to the locker room on the combinations up front at defensive tackle? Yeah, I think they really need to get their starters out there or their projected starters out there. But again, uh, just as I mentioned, you know, with uh, with Darren Waller, we've already seen how important you know a Jonathan Hankins and you know potentially a, a Bilal Nichols are to this operation. Uh, we've seen some of their backups struggle. I thought the two rookies, uh, Matthew Butler and Neil Farrell, um, you know, had some some issues uh, on Sunday. It was kind of a different scheme that they were playing against against the Vikings. Not something that they were used to seeing in practice. So you would expect some rough edges, no doubt about it. Um, you know, but the, the point is that they need their whole, full arsenal of interior defensive linemen out there. It's going to look a lot better, obviously, when Max Crosby and Chandler Jones are, are actually playing and, and, and out on the field. Uh, they're going to uh, command so much presence that it's going it to invariably help what you're doing in the inside. 
but for this thing to be, uh, for this defense to be at its optimal level, they need their starter, starting interior defensive lineman out there. We don't know when that's going to happen. Uh, as you mentioned, Jonathan Hankins and Bilal Nichols are still on the physically unable to, to perform list. You know, we're facing a deadline on the 23rd, 24th or so of August, uh, where if you remain on that pup list, all of a sudden you're starting to talk about missing multiple games. I think it's four uh, to start out with, out with uh, a minimum of four games. So uh, it sure would ease a lot of anxiety, and, and I'm sure Patrick Graham would sleep a whole lot easier uh, if, if both of those guys were cleared to play within the next week or so. Uh, finally, for Vinny Bonsignor, our teammate here, also Vegas Nation, all the work he does with the Review Journal. This Miami trip is tricky. The humidity and the heat, we've been there together. We know that trip. If you got to play in the regular season in September there, it is brutal. It brutal, especially if you're on the sun side. I don't have a weather report yet, but you know, you want to talk about being hydrated and not pulling a hamstring and being cardio ready. That's the test, playing in Miami. What do you expect to see? I, I think the same rotation with the offensive line, but this is a game where you got to be smart with the players and how many reps they get because of the adverse heat, humidity, and what could be waiting for them there. And, I'm, and then they got the practices with New England, which I think are much more important. Um, yeah, way more important. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, that, that uh, game on Saturday, fortunately, it's going to start uh, at 7 o'clock, so uh, mm-hmm. that sun will start going down. And, you know, maybe they uh, will get a little bit of a break on the humidity. It's supposed to have some uh, scattered showers as well, so, so that's another issue to think about. And for me, uh, that game on Saturday is another opportunity to take a really good look at uh, who might be in consideration for that left tackle job. To me, if you're not going to play, um, you know, Colton Miller, if you're still trying to figure out that swing tackle spot, then you absolutely don't play t- uh, Derek Carr. Uh, if you want to try to get a, a look at what that offensive line might look like um, with 74 out there, then maybe that's an opportunity for Derek Carr uh, to play. But I just don't necessarily think that that's the right thing to do, especially for the reasons that you mm-hmm. pointed out. Uh, keep going on the on the track that you're on. Uh, if you're the Raiders trying to figure out that swing tackle position, keep alternating over at right tackle, uh, moving guys around on the interior of the defensive line from Dylan Parham playing a whole bunch of different positions to uh, you know Jermaine Illuminor playing tackle and, and guard as well. Keep going in that direction to try to get the offensive line figured out. You've got two practices against the Patriots coming up next week. I think it's going to be on, on Tuesday and Wednesday, which is going to be invaluable. You know, that's when you're going to start seeing the number ones against the number ones, creating situations that are practical that you're going to see in games and really get, you know, 100, 200 snaps uh, throughout those two days uh, where, you're, where you're seeing ones against ones and getting really good quality work. You know, I'm always thinking ahead, Vinny. I'm taking that last uh, statement from you cutting it up for the pregame show on Saturday with Derek Allen. We are going to play that in the pregame show. That is tremendous analysis from the philosophy into Miami into the New England practices. Have a safe trip. We'll talk to you when you get back. Thank you so much. All right. I appreciate it, JT. Thank you. Great information, as always, from Benny Bonsignor. Catch him in the mornings and catch all the work he does online at Vegas Nation and the Las Vegas Review Journal. Fantastic. Fantastic. The priority of the Patriot practices, even though the Raiders want to stay undefeated in the preseason. That was brought to you by Modelo, an official cerveza of the Las Vegas Raiders. I reward myself with a bucket of Modelo's every weekend, but a busy week this week. Five radio shows at night, five during the day, a full day Saturday on Raider Nation Radio. Busy week. It feels like it's the season already, even though it's not. Preseason counts, but we're building 
We're building for the NFL start of the regular season. Coming up next, Kadre Ishmael, the brother of the Rocket. Oh, we got him coming up then. I thought he was coming up. Bobby says he's calling in here uh, momentarily, so we'll get him here in a few seconds. Thank you, Bobby, on that. We'll wait for him to check in. And then uh, we have a golf guest at the bottom of the hour. Bob Herrig is going to join us. That's a late addition to the show. Uh, one more thing before Cadre on what Vinny said. You know, that, that Thayer Mumford swing tackle or starting right tackle is very important coming up here with Leatherwood. This, to me, is the push, the absolute push for Leatherwood that I like. Leatherwood's got to be pushed, and he's getting pushed right now by a kid who comes in behind him who played at a big program at Ohio State. That battle over at right tackle made the best man win. I'm not a gambler, but if I was gambling, I'd bet on Leatherwood. I would go with Leatherwood today. That could change and evolve depending on what happens in these next preseason games. We're going to get a good look at him. We're going to get a look, good look at both of them, but I really hope that Leatherwood raises his game up there enough to impress the coaches more. Okay, Cadre Ishmael, kind enough to join us. And Cadre, good to talk to you. Always a pleasure having you on. And let's begin with this contract potential with Lamar Jackson and the fact that he doesn't have an agent. If the season starts and he doesn't negotiate, there's a lot of risk-reward here. How do you see it? Yeah, you know, I, I think first and foremost, he's held fast to the fact that he's going to negotiate his contract without an agent. He's not been the guy that tries to leak things out to the media and, and negotiate that way. I think the Ravens, you know, it, it's a different way of negotiating when it comes to uh, Lamar Jackson, the the player speaking and somehow you got to flip the script with your 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 brain and, and realize, hey, look, if it was an agent, I'm going to explain some things that might sound harsh and, and negative and mean towards, you know, your client. But you know, the agent takes it and then they take that information and they calmly, in their own words, in a less harsher way, talk to the the player. And obviously, you know, the back and forth begins. This is. You know, something where Eric DaCosta and the, and the Ravens uh, front office, they, they're just doing things differently, and they recognize all that. With all that said, I think for Lamar Jackson, the fact that he's saying, hey, I'm waiting uh, to get my deal done, we saw so many different deals get done, and the latest one is Kyler Murray. His deal is kind of like the, the new benchmark as far as, hey, we're – we need something better than that because if you look at just the the way in which it was set up, I mean, Lamar's resume is better than Kyler's. And then there's the ultimate one, which is the ultimate uh, leverage with Deshaun Watson having everything fully guaranteed. So I'm sure somewhere in the middle there's a, a contract that has Lamar Jackson's name written on it. But for me and for every other analyst and pundit, it's all speculation on exactly what is thinking in the mind of Lamar Jackson. Cadre Ishmael is our guest, and I get that, and I know your role there with the organization and what you're doing there in the media with pre and post and your work, and it's a tough spot. I'm asked about it with Darren Waller out here in Vegas and other people. I, I don't get in the way of players' money or debate it because I know how important money is. It was to you. You won a Super Bowl and had a really – outstanding career and have a job where you have to report on this what i find interesting is can't they just throw out that jimmy haslam contact with deshaun watson and all the other owners around the league go look i get it he got that contract fully guaranteed 
but Cleveland is a dumpster fire right now. The owner has no idea what he's doing on the NFL front, so we're not going to use that as the benchmark. That is not going to be the standard. Let's look at Kyler Murray. Let's look at some of these other contracts here, and maybe maybe the Ravens don't have to pay that insane Deshaun Watson-type money. So I, I know, like, if, if an agent um... – basically was representing Lamar. And if I, if I was his agent, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm absolutely using what's the latest greatest. And there is no anomaly. There is no, uh, well, well, that's them type of a, a mindset when it comes to guaranteed money and fully guaranteed contracts. Like, oh, well, you're, you're an owner and, and you're going to look at it in terms of um, leverage for you. Why can't I look at it in terms of leverage for me? So, you're, you know, have them, you know, he created this mess for y'all. Work it out amongst yourselves when you're at your different country clubs or if you're sitting there at the owner's meeting and whenever that is, if you don't want him sitting at the, the cool kids club table, oh, well, all I know is I'm going to do what's best for my client. And if that contract is part of the entire picture, far be it for me to, 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 to just yeah. say, ah, well, we're not going to look at it. We'll just put it to the side. No, yeah, I appreciate that answer because I, I got to think, you know, if Mike Trout makes $400 million, doesn't mean the next great player is making $400 million. That You know, there's a top in, in sports. As he's the number one paid guy. The, the next guy, what, what gets me in football, and again, I, I'm passionate about this, do the contracts always have to go up? If someone gets 240 like Deshaun or if Aaron Rodgers got 250 in regards to per year and all that, can't someone say, yeah, I got a really good quarterback, but he's, he doesn't have to be the highest paid? I guess what I'm asking you is, does Lamar Jackson have to be the highest paid quarterback, or could he get a little bit less than Mahomes, a little bit less than Deshaun Watson, and be good with it? And, and not him in particular, any athlete in the sport. You don't have to break the bank and break the ceiling on every contract, do you? Well, I guess if you were going to talk about charging tickets and if you're going to char- talk about, mm-hmm. you know, the overhead and, and what you're actually getting as far as guarantee monies from the TV deals and the billions that literally the, the owners are splitting up. I mean, you know, the owners, they're, they're paying their people to, you know, squeeze every last penny out of the, the fan base. Mm-hmm. Do you want all the owners to take all the money? I, I mean, that that I no. think one of the things the perception is is that oh well the, the athletes, but <laughs> make no mistake about it, we're, we're talking about the billionaires who are strategically you know um, hiding behind, and I, I say strategically because they have people that are representing them and their organization via their general managers or via their team presidents, and yeah, they they they're going to try to figure out how to get more. Um, more money. Like we now see how the NFL, you know, NFL.com now it, it's, it's turned into, well, can we, how, how do we use the different media platforms to present to the fan base? But ultimately it comes back into our pockets. So the collective bargaining agreement, you're in a position where if you're a player, Hey, we want that piece of that pie too. Our careers are 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 finite. They're they're, they they're they're so incredibly quick. Let's see how you know we can uh, get as much money as we can possibly get. We saw it with the receiving um, community when when the receivers they they got their bags and and things started shifting in in the receiver world. Um, same thing for you know heck even Justin Tucker you know the the Ravens uh, kicker he's got the highest paid. A contract in in you know NFL history for a kicker, 
but he's earned it. But then at the same time, you're talking about salary cap, where it was to where it's at current day. I mean, that's just a part of the negotiation of the back and forth of the money. Now, if the we saw this in the pandemic when when you know quote unquote well the salary cap went down and so owners use that as a leverage ploy of like well wait a minute you know if, if the salary cap goes down then here's where we're at with our contract well now the salary cap is shot back up so now you're going to have to readjust as well and 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 that's that's the the reality of it all okay cadre Ishmael as we wrap it up so I'm looking at the schedule here for the Ravens. Open it up at the Jets. We know what the situation with their quarterback is. He won't be there for that game, most likely. Miami at home at New England. New England's really struggled, but the greatest coach, arguably, of all time in Belichick. Then Buffalo at home before Cincinnati and at the Giants. So if I look at those first six games, Cadre, I think this is going to be maybe the most vastly improved team in football because of all the injuries last year. You remember when they opened up in Vegas and the amount of injuries they had last year, and they were always playing from behind with all the injuries they had in the offseason and in camp. Does it look like the team's healthier and they're really going to hit the ground running this year? Yeah, JT, I think they changed their offseason programming up to address some of the the injury uh, bugs issues i know they got marcus peters back uh from the pup list and you know he's back out there jk dobbins he's been out there uh you know back from the pup list um ronnie stanley has been cleared but they're kind of you know putting caution to the wind i think they're going to see him opening day and not necessarily worry about him for camp um but you're right i mean a talented talented team on the roster now it's getting that roster to opening day without any major hiccups their number one draft pick, uh, Tyler Lindebaum, he, he's their center who phenomenal camp, but he got hurt uh, with his foot, and so he's kind of missing some time. Um, so, yeah, you're doing everything you can do, but it is a collision sport. It is going to be where, you know, you're hoping and praying that um, you mitigate as, as many uh, potential injuries as possible. And like I said, if you can get to opening day, I think, you know, of all the games that you mentioned, the two that are, are circled in my mind have to be Buffalo and Cincinnati. Buffalo, because obviously everybody is claiming them to be the next greatest in the AFC as far as representation. Uh, but they're at home. I think this would be a great opportunity for Lamar Jackson and company to uh, show that they're, you know, in the conversation as an upper-tier AFC team. And then AFC North, period, end of discussion. You win the AFC North, you're in the playoffs. Well, Cincinnati whooped up on the Ravens last year, both home and at Cincinnati. So I think this is a huge game. Both of those games are huge games when it comes to setting the tone for the first part of the season. Padre, last uh, last point I wanted to make. I want to get your reaction. I went to Canton for the Hall of Fame. You remember the name Cliff Branch and how fast he was. So I was there with the Raiders for that. And I got a chance to see Jim Brown, who went to Syracuse like you did at the Gold Jacket Party. And I don't know when I'm going to see Jim again. I hadn't seen him in a while. And I built a good radio relationship with him over the decades. And I got a chance to sit down with him one more time. I hope there's another. But we're never guaranteed a meeting like that again in life. And I had so much peace. And I felt so great sitting down with that icon again. I just wanted to share that with you because of the impact he had at Syracuse and you playing there and your thoughts on Jim Brown and the impact he had on the game. 
Well, I mean, from, from a Syracuse standpoint, um, you know, the legendary 44, um, obviously him and, and, and Ernie Davis, who uh, won the Heisman Trophy. And, you know, I just think the legacy that they left behind at Syracuse, uh, Floyd Little, obviously, too, uh, God rest his soul. I just think, you know, the the impact that these men had on us as, as uh, you know, college athletes and, and, and coming up and, and imparting their wisdom and knowledge into us. And then obviously from a professional standpoint, I remember uh, Jim Brown coming up and, and speaking to uh, our football team when we were um, with the Baltimore, when I was with the Baltimore Ravens. And, you know, I, I just think that the, the idea of using your talents um, to help you overcome some of the challenges of life, but then the broader scope is using your talents to gain better wisdom and understanding to then therefore help others around you and be that high tide that raises other ships. I think that's really what the impact of a person like Jim Brown means to me. Great interview. Fantastic as always. Thanks so much for your time. Look forward to talking to you throughout the year. Absolutely. Appreciate you, JT. Always. Appreciate you. Always. Cadre Ishmael. Really good as we could sign off on the Ravens there and get his opinion. I disagree with them. I'm pro owner. He's pro player. I don't think the players have to get 240, then 260 and 280. I think there's a point where owners say no. No, no, no. We're not paying that type of money for a quarterback. What are you going to pay a quarterback? $300 million to play 30 minutes a game? 17, 18 weeks a year? How high could it go? JT, we continue. What appeals to you about Live Golf that you weren't getting from the PGA Tour? There's an obvious, um, incredible financial commitment. But more than that, there are other factors that with um, fewer tournaments, it allows me to have more balance in my life. It allows me to do things that are off the golf course. That was Phil Mickelson. Welcome back, JT. One of the great golf insiders out there, Bob Herrick, kind enough to join us from SI.com. He wrote the book Tiger and Phil, Golf's Most Fascinating Rivalry. Bob, good to talk to you again. I want to start off with your theory in, on Tiger talking to the PGA Tour, the players before the BMW. Where did this come from? What do you think his goal is in captivating that audience? Yeah, listen, it's a great, and thank you for having me, JT. Um, it's, a, it's a great question because, you know, Tiger has put his feelings out there already. He did so at St. Andrews last month where he, you know, made it very clear where he stands. In fact, he went probably farther than I think we would have expected him to go uh, in, in explaining why he's not in favor of the new live enterprise and talked about 54 hole events and young players not having access to the major championships and, you know, the guaranteed money making you perhaps soft, you know, not, not being as, as dedicated. Uh, you know, that was pretty strong right there. The fact that he would come to Wilmington for the BMW Championship in person to meet with players, I think it's significant just from, a, for, just from the standpoint of, uh, of, of his legacy, of, of who he is. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what he can get accomplished um, or, or what they can do, but I, don't, I, I, certainly, I certainly don't think it hurts. 
You know, Tiger, Tiger's been around for a long time. He has a lot of ideas. He certainly would understand the idea of guaranteed money in golf because there's probably been nobody more deserving of it than him. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see what comes of this. Yeah, the rivalry with Phil. I mean, you know about it right in the book better than anybody. This adds to kind of the rivalry as Phil went to live, took the money, did not handle it well at all. The initial press conferences and Tigers coming in over the top. Does that add to the rivalry, in your opinion, with Phil Mickelson? You know, I don't think there's any question. Um, you know, if they had come to any sort of a meeting of the mind or any sort of a conciliatory relationship there in the, in the last several years, which is what I tried to suggest may have happened, at least for a time there, um, that's gone. You know, they're, they're completely on opposite ends of this. Um, you know, Tiger has made it very clear where he stands. And Phil has been outspoken, uh, at least in the beginning, uh, on, his, on his displeasure with the PGA Tour and how it could lead to this point. And uh, so you couldn't you couldn't have two guys farther apart. And, you know, when I had a chance to uh, I actually got to talk to Phil uh, right before he played in the first event in the first live event in London, when he had come back after being gone for four months. And, you know, I sort of naively asked him, have you spoken to Tiger? You know, thinking that that maybe they did share some common ground in this. Uh, and Phil dismissed it. He said he hadn't spoken to Tiger. Um, he'd be happy to talk to Tiger, that sort of thing. But it's become clear since then that um, uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> Tiger's completely on the opposite end of this issue. Bob Herrig is our guest, the great insider, SI.com. So, Bob, I'm having a really difficult time. I talk a lot of golf, as you know. I play the sport. I love the game, and I love the history and I lost a fraternity brother at the top of Cantor Fitzgerald on 9-11 that had a deep effect on my life. So I wouldn't play live if I was a golfer. But I also know that all of our former presidents have met with the crown prince. We do a tremendous amount of business with Saudi Arabia, our Fortune 500 companies, and the billions of dollars that change hands between the United States and business and Saudi Arabia. So when a bunch of athletes want to make more money and play golf, I want to think of the 9-11 families, which I always do. But then I look back at our country and say, where do we draw the line with the Saudis when it comes to business? You, you really summed it up well there. I, I think it's a, it's a much more complicated issue than, than, hey, where is the funding coming from? We don't like it. We should not do it. It's, it's very, very difficult uh, issue. Obviously, you know, the, the Saudi regime, um, the, the money comes from the public investment fund. There are human rights abuses. I mean, we've just heard of things again this week with Saudi Arabia where, you know, a woman activist in Saudi has been jailed for speaking out. And while they've tried to suggest that they've come a long way with women's rights and letting women drive things that we take for granted, you know, clearly they have a long way to go. And, and there's the 9-11 angle that you mentioned, which, of course, there's, there's more and more evidence that has come out that suggests that perhaps their government was involved. Uh, and so these are all very, very difficult issues. But then you point out the other side. You know, the PGA Tour main benefactor, FedEx, you know, the, 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 the company behind the $75 million in bonus money that these guys are playing for right now, with $18 million going to the winner next week 
in Atlanta. You know, FedEx does a ton of business in Saudi. Uh, the, the PIF invests in FedEx. Uh, you know, obviously the, the tour plays has played in China. They, they've had a, they've had a developmental tour in China, which in China, which has its human rights issues. I, you know, I'm not suggesting that that condones it. I'm simply pointing out that those are the what about issues that, that are, that are confronting them. It's not that easy. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of understand both sides. I get where somebody like yourself, somebody who's been close to that, somebody who has no use for anything to do with Saudi Arabia would want nothing to do with this. I also understand why a golfer might say, hey, look, they presented me a business opportunity and there's dozens upon hundreds of companies in the U.S. that have taken up Saudi business opportunities. Why can't I? So, you know, it's... Um, it's a fascinating issue that's been incredibly disruptive in golf. And, uh, you know, if anything, has, has brought attention, more attention to, you know, some of the things that go on in Saudi Arabia that maybe people didn't realize. Bob Herrick, as we wrap it up. Finally, Bob, your opinion on Cam Smith. He had that two-stroke penalty. He's now withdrawing. He looks like he's aggravated. He won the Claire Judd. If you look at everything that's happening, and he was rumored to go to live like an agreement or a handshake agreement was in place, is he playing through that type of pressure now? And do you expect him to join live or wait? Why not wait till the end of the year? The live money's going nowhere. It's a great question. Um, uh, my guess is that they will make the offer lower if he doesn't join now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, all indications are. That, that he's a done deal and that he's going to play in their Boston event in two weeks, which would mean that, uh, that he wouldn't be participating in the President's Cup at the end of September. Wow. Um, you know, there's a little sort of a – this is tiny in the overall scheme of things, but the, the season-ending live event is a team event in Miami, and to be eligible for that, you have to play in, in four of the, of the preceding events. Well, there's only four left. So if he wanted to take part in that or if they wanted him as part of that, they might have dangled a sum that said, look, we want you in all of these, and he decided not to pass it up. Um, and it's made it awkward for him, obviously, because you know when he was asked a question last week, he could have just said, I'm not going. It's not true. He didn't do that. If you, were, if you aren't going, why wouldn't you answer it that way? You know. So uh, that, that sort of led everybody to think that he's probably gone. And then, you know, he has this kind of this ruling, which, look, by the book, he committed the violation and deserved the penalty. But there's all sorts of speculation that he was singled out, um, maybe didn't like how that went down, decided I'm going to take a week off from all the noise uh, and only play next week. So, again, it's, it's, this was the time of year when we thought we were going to get away from all of it. And if anything, it's, it's heightened. Thanks, Bob. Always a pleasure talking to you. Great work, as always. The book I read is fantastic. And have a great run to the end of the tour. And more breaking news on Live. We'll call you back. I appreciate you. Thanks very much. Be well. You got it. Bob Herring from SI.com, an elite golf insider. So he was available. We pounced on the opportunity to talk to him about one of the biggest stories in the world in sports. Live Golf versus the PGA Tour. We don't have to worry about the MLB, Major League Baseball, competing against the Dominican Republic and Venezuela. Let's just say for argument's sakes, the best baseball players in the world are from Venezuela, the Dominican Republic, and outside the United States in a 
league came up and said, we want to break away from that. No one's going to break away from Major League Baseball. But if you can take a baseball player who's worth $40 million and give them $100 million, they're going to go. The amount of money is that significant where an athlete who's only in their prime from 23 years old to 29 in every sport. I mean, golf, you can play golf another 10 years more so than baseball at a very high level. Same thing when football, right? When football started and Donald Trump was there with the USFL and all these other owners and Herschel Walker and Doug Flutie and Jim Kelly, who I spent time with in Canton, when they got offers that they couldn't refuse, what did they do? They went to the USFL. Let's go back to the AFL, where my mentor, Fred Bolitnikoff, was offered a deal, could have played in Detroit, could play for the Raiders. The money was better with the Raiders. He took the deal for the AFL until the AFL and the NFL had a merger. More people need to study the great Al Davis, Lamar Hunt, the people behind the scenes, and Pete Rozelle and what was happening in the history of this country in our biggest sport. That would be the merger between the AFL and the NFL. And it's a big part of history. Well, I think that's what's happening here. The only difference is we're not comfortable with the money coming from Saudi Arabia because of their human rights violations. So Live is going to merge with the PGA Tour. Well, the PGA Tour is never going to be the same. I watch the PGA Tour every weekend. Every time I've been watching, it's boring. The broadcast now, I love Jim Nance. Nick Faldo retires. You tune in, it's boring. You turn on Live, it doesn't have a television deal yet. But when you stream it, there's a DJ. There's rock and roll. There's partying. They only play three rounds. The players are looser. So eventually, that's going to come to the PGA Tour. And the PGA Tour miraculously has found all this new money. Where was the money two years ago, four years ago, eight years ago? Now Live pops up. Oh, the PGA Tour looks under a rock, and they find another million or two million per tournament? Well, the players want that money. So... Our country, we are full of hypocrisies in this country. We want to take the moral high ground. We are not the best in the world in the most important sport in the world, soccer. We're nowhere near competitive. We're barely competitive. Our women are. Our women win the World Cup. Our men, we have lower than the minor leagues. The MLS is the lowest minor leagues in global soccer. It's terrible. I won't even pay attention to it. And we in America flex our muscles. We're the best. No, we're not. We're not the best at soccer. And that's much bigger than the NFL and the MLB combined. Combined. But we think we're the moral high ground when it comes to doing business with Saudi Arabia and golf. But every president that's been in your lifetime has flown over to the Saudis and shaken hands with the crown prince and done a deal with gasoline. Very important and competitive topic in sports. I think it's a great topic. Because it gets everybody off their moral high ground. If you don't want to do live golf, draw a line in the sand. But once Cameron Smith, when he decides to play, along with Bubba Watson, Sergio Garcia, Phil Mickelson, Bryson DeChambeau, a guy by the name of Dustin Johnson, you think he's pretty good? The PGA has to come back to live and broker a deal and put this behind them. 702-365-9200. We'll wrap up the show coming up next. We're a sports talk show. Big golf guest, I put him in. All right, when we come back, what the Raiders have in front of them in Miami, thanks to Vinny Bonsignor again. He said some good stuff. Uh, Eric Allen and I will host the pregame. We will do that on Saturday on Raider Nation Radio and Compass Media Networks. Fun show today. Good day today. Jumping in the pool, looking at it right now at about 15, right here on the flagship.
I wish that a lot of these young players who I admire so much learned from my stupidity and my debacle. Mm -hmm. And it, it almost brings me to tears to see a kid like Tatis who's 23 years old that for the rest of his career, he's just going to play it out. There's probably no Hall of Fame. I'm not going to go to the Hall of Fame probably because of my own mistake. Mm -hmm. And that's heartbreaking for me. It's heartbreaking to explain that to my daughters, but that's on me. So I get to be now hopefully a better friend, a better business person, more importantly, a better father. It's one of the most important sound bites of A-Rod's life. Alex Rodriguez with Derek Jeter on ESPN when they were doing the Michael K. A-Rod cast, the K. A-Rod cast. On Sunday Night Baseball. So A-Rod was talking about Fernando Tatis, who's making 330 or $40 million, was popped for an 80-game suspension, so he's done with the Padres. I had Juan Soto to the Padres before anybody, and I knew they were shopping Tatis, and I took a lot of heat for that, and I will be vindicated on that. I promise you I'll be vindicated on that when the Padres are able to waive, and it'll take Tatis waiving the no-trade clause to try to get out of this deal, and Tatis will want to start somewhere else. But for A-Rod... Sitting next to Derek Jeter, as Derek Jeter's finishing up his documentary, The Captain, for A-Rod to say that he ruined his career because of performance-enhancing drugs and the young guys like Tatis did not learn from his mistakes. And he talked about it. That's great, great sound from A-Rod because A-Rod's admitting what we all knew when he was lying about performance-enhancing drugs and he was very unlikable. He should say the same thing about dating that nutcase J-Lo who ended up marrying Ben Affleck. What do you think Ben Affleck's thinking today knowing J-Lo was running around with A-Rod for two years? And he it, that's, that's what Ben Affleck's going to do at this stage in his life? <laughs> Go back to J-Lo. I like the attrition of A-Rod. A-Rod basically told the world, I was dumb, I made mistakes, and I'm never going to the Hall of Fame. And he has to live with that with his daughters because he's divorced, doesn't care about his ex-wife, but he has to talk about that with his legacy with his daughters. That was really good sound, Bobby. Way to pick that off and play that. Uh, thanks to our guests today, Vinny Bonsignor, which was a lot of fun to talk to him, Cadre Ishmael, Bob Herrig from SI.com, and Jeff Sherman from the Superbook at the Westgate. And again, these guests come together either a day before, a week before, an hour before, 20 minutes before when Bob Herrig got back to Bobby. So we appreciate that conversation on Live Golf with Tiger versus Phil. Q is coming up next. A quick reminder, the game is Saturday. We don't have a preseason game Sunday. It's Saturday. The following week, it's Friday for Raiders Alumni Weekend. Now, I was able to give you some clues what was going on with Cliff. I didn't give anything away because my job would be on the line. And I didn't know about Diana Ross until the day of Diana Ross. But this Raider Alumni Weekend that's coming, if you're a Raider fan, I think you want to be out here this Patriots weekend of the preseason. Raiders are going big again. Big because they do it up for their Raiderettes. There were 500 Raiderettes. 500! The entire Winfield Club was packed. And then you have all the alumni coming back and the great legends and gold jackets and players for the Patriots weekend. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll be back on the radio tonight from 6 to 9 p.m. Hosting Mad Dog Sports Radio. That's on Sirius XM 82. And I'm excited about that. Have a great day. I will see you back. Enjoy the rest of the day and keep it here for Cube.